You are listening to the latest message from Bar None Cowboy Ministries in Omaha, Texas, where we don't care about your past, but care about your future. We thank you for joining us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Dwayne Higgins. Bibles, go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Um, I, I was kind of trying to figure out what to, what to do for tonight. Um, by the way, I, I'll tell you how Dad operates uh, sometimes. I knew that I was supposed to be preaching Sunday, uh, but last week I didn't know that he wanted Wednesday covered as well, and he never asked me. And my mom was like, did, did he ever ask you to get, cover it? I said, nope, he didn't. Yeah, <laughs> and so I said he never, he never asked me about that, but uh, I kind of, kind of knew. Um, but I was preparing for for tonight of, you know, w- what do you do after coming off of a, a series of of Exodus? Um, and so I was just, I've been reading a book uh, called. Can you believe that I've been reading a book? Uh, that, that's a miracle in itself. Um, it was a Kindle book. It was on my, <laughs> but um, it's called Deeper, and it's a second book in a series that um, a guy by the name of Don Or Don Ortland wrote. The first one that he wrote was called Gentle and Lowly, and it talks about um, how Jesus. It, it, it's Jesus's heart. And the only place you really see uh, Jesus' heart is um, in, the, in the verse where, where Jesus goes, uh, my yoke is, or no, my heart is, oh, what is it? Whatever, it, it's gentle and lowly. That's the exact part out of the, the verse that, that he uses. Um, and so Dana Ortland came out with another book called Deeper, and it's about your spiritual growth in Christ. Um, I really loved the Gentle and Lowly book. I had to read it in seminary. Uh, and in fact, that when I read it in seminary, it was the second time that I've read it because I read it beforehand. And I just, I, I thought it, it's, it's great. It, it just makes you feel like the Jesus that we know, you, that you just want to cuddle up in his arms. That's, that's the way that this book is. Um, and deeper is about the same same thing. And as I was reading through it, there have been some things uh, in there that really stood out to me. Um, and so I can't say this is 100% original, what, what I'm going to say, um, but it is kind of 100% original. I just got the thought from, from this book. So Luke chapter 7, if you're there, verses 36 through 50. Um, and somebody read me the, the title above that. What, is, what does your title say? A sinful woman anoints Jesus' feet. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And you know, may know where we're headed to, but um, let's, let's begin reading in verse 1. My version is going to be a little bit different than what's on the screen, um, but it's still the same. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. 
he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who was touching him. She is a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. Um, right there, denarii is a day's worth of wage. So right here, one of the debtors owed almost two years' worth of salary, and the other one owed about two months' worth of salary. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So here we see Jesus um, at a formal dinner. And he was invited to this formal dinner by a Pharisee by the name of Simon. We don't know much about Simon except for what is presented right here. But we know that um, Simon was a Pharisee and he invited Jesus over for dinner. We also know that it was a formal meal because of what the scripture just said, they reclined at the table. All right, the reclining at the table was reserved for very special occasions. Um, it was supposed to show importance of, of who was around, what they thought of you, and all of that um, portion. But so, so they, they had this dinner right there. And I have never really understood, like, what is reclining at the table? What does that mean? What did it look like? And so I did some digging, and I pulled up a, a picture of this, if Luke can get it up there. Okay, right here. This is what it would look like to recline at the table. And where I um, found this picture, it had a great little caption explaining 
everything about it. And I want to read you that, that caption. Uh, you can see there's some numbers and some letters around there. I'll get to that in this caption. It said, in the first century, a common way of dining was to recline at the table. Each person would rest his left elbow on a cushion and eat using his right hand. According to the Greco-Roman custom, a typical dining room had three couches set around a low dining table. Um, although this arrangement traditionally accommodated nine people, three to a couch, it became common to use longer couches to accommodate even more people. Each position, um, each position in the dining room was traditionally viewed as having a different degree of honor. One, one couch was the lowest place of honor, and you can see that in number A, or letter A. Um, one was in the middle, that's letter B, and one was in the highest, letter C. The position on the couch differed in importance. The person dining well, oh, the person dining was considered to be above the one to his right and below the one who was to his left. So it was kind of like a totem pole thing. The person that was eating on your right-hand side, you were, um, you were higher than they were, but the one to your left, you were lower than them in the importance of whoever invited you to dinner. At a formal banquet, the host typically sat at the first position, the number one, the lowest position on the couch. Uh, and you see that right there. He was, looks like he's in the middle, but he's to, um, actually it looks like he's, he was, he's on the end, but he's at the lowest position. The place of honor was in the third position, number two on the middle couch. Although it is not clear to what extent the Jews adopted this custom, it appears that Jesus alluded to it when teaching his father, uh, followers the need for humility. Um, we do see in Scripture Jesus mentioning this a lot about reclining at the table, your position, where you are. They would understand that because this was a normal way for people to host formal events. Um, houses back then, they didn't have AC, so usually their houses were open, not closed off like what we have right now. And most of the time, these dinners would take place in a courtyard or out in the public, out in the open, where people would come by and um, you, could, you could view other people's dinners. And especially with the Pharisees, they really love to just show off their money. I mean, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to show off their importance. So they probably had their tables right there on the city street, pretty much right there, where anybody could walk by, you can join. Uh, you can't partake, but you could join in and see what was happening. And so they like to do this uh, a lot. And we don't know what the occasion was in this passage in Luke, but we do know that Simon invited Jesus over. Now, where was Jesus sitting? I, I don't know where he was sitting at, 
but we do know that he was reclining there. So he he had he was laying down with his left elbow um, on a couch, and his feet were back behind him, just like the picture shows. But when people were coming by, they were able to stop and listen into the conversations um, that were happening. But one of the important things about this passage was there was a lady who was caught in sin. Basically, she was, she was a prostitute. And the important part about that is the Pharisees, if they were even to be caught, um, caught being around a prostitute, it was devastating. They didn't want to be associated with that. And then more or less, you know, a prostitute touching you, that was, that was unheard of. That made you unclean. Um, and so they didn't really allow the prostitutes to be in that area. And so a prostitute coming to a Pharisee's house made it even more shocking of what had happened during this story. Um, we know that this prostitute, we don't know her name. Some people think it was Mary Magdalene, but through the things I was reading, um, it, it doesn't make sense that it was Mary because there, this is a totally separate event than what Mary Magdalene was at before. This is a whole different situation. So we don't know who this prostitute is, but we know that she had heard that Jesus was there. And so she made it a point to go to this Pharisee's house to see Jesus. And we know that she made it a point to go there, and it wasn't just by chance that she showed up, because she brought this alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. I don't know what alabaster looks like. Uh, maybe some of you might have seen it. Before what I've read, it's a very expensive, clear, translucent stone that its main and only purpose was to hold expensive perfume. And so she brought this expensive perfume with her to go see Jesus. So she had planned this out. She heard Jesus was coming. She heard that he was going to be at this Pharisee's house. And she says, I'm going to go. No matter what that they think about, I'm going to go. When she came, it, it took her great courage to show up to Simon's house. And it reveals that the desperation that she sought for forgiveness. She was desperate to ask for forgiveness. Just showing up at this Pharisee's house. Her weeping shows that she was very repentant of her sins. She could have also been weeping for joy and just being in the, the presence of Jesus because we know that she had heard who he was and what he had done because she sought after him. Why did Simon invite Jesus to come to his house? We don't know. We don't have that answer. It could have been because he was curious of the, the commotion going on at the time. Or it could have also been trying to set Jesus up 
like all the other Pharisees were trying to do, to trap him. But of course, Jesus is a little smarter than they are, right? Just, just a little bit. So Jesus is reclining at the table with Simon there and others gathered all around. And just picture this prostitute starting to come through the crowd. Because I, I bet you there were maybe hundreds of people right outside of this, this dining room listening and seeing what was going on because they heard about Jesus too. They, they knew his reputation. They wanted to check this out. Plus, that was their entertainment. You know, think about in 30 AD, what did you do? You didn't watch television. You, you watched, that was live television. You, you, you didn't have anything else to do, so you're walking down the street. Somebody's having a dinner table. Well, let's be nosy, see what's going on. I mean, that, that kind of sounds like Omaha, right? You know, if somebody has their windows open, you're driving by, whoa, what are they doing in there? I mean, so that's what they were doing. And so there are probably hundreds of people gathered around, and this prostitute starts to come around. Now, a lot of people probably knew who she was. Some of them might have, yeah, did that thing, and they were probably just splitting open to let her come through. They like, God, don't touch me, don't touch me, and let her come through. And I can't just imagine what Simon's face was when he saw her come through that crowd and then kneel. I, I wasn't even kneeling. She fell down at Jesus' feet and started to cry. She took down her hair, started wiping off her, her, her tears, took the jar of perfume and poured it all over his feet, anointing this. And Simon thinks to himself, man, Jesus, you must not be a prophet because if you were a prophet, you would know what this lady has done. And you wouldn't be letting her touch your feet. Here's the kicker. It says, Jesus replied to Simon. Simon never said anything out loud. He was saying it in his head. But Jesus replied to Simon. He said, let me ask you a question. And he goes off and he tells this parable. That had to blow Simon's mind, thinking, whoa, this guy may be a prophet. He knew what I was saying. That's just a wonder. Just, just even just thinking about that Jesus knew what he was thinking. He knew what he was thinking. And just think about us. If any one of us could read minds, I sure would be having a tinfoil hat on to make sure you couldn't read mine. You know, but, but Jesus could, could do that. He still can do that. A lot of times we forget that he can do that. 
Sometimes we talk out of one mouth, and we turn around and we talk out of another mouth. We do that. But when Simon invited Jesus over, he didn't even show the common decency of what was cultural at the time. He didn't offer to wash Jesus' feet or even have his servants wash Jesus' feet. He didn't kiss him on the forehead, which showed signs of respect for that person. And he sure didn't take some olive oil and anoint him. He did nothing. But then there was this lady, this prostitute. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she needed forgiveness. And she showed him. She showed Jesus humility. See, this, this parable was speaking to two people. I think it was speaking to Simon, and I think it was speaking to the prostitute at the same time. This parable is one that teaches um, both of them about forgiveness, what forgiveness is. And it's a lesson about how neither person could afford to pay off the debt that they had. So the debt collector or the creditor was the one to give uh, grace and mercy over this. And so when Jesus asked Simon the question, which one had more love to the creditor? Simon responds with the correct answer. The one that had the most debt, right? The one that had the most debt gave more love to the creditor because, man, he wasn't going to be able to pay two years' worth of wage back. But there was another answer that Jesus had as well. That other point was... He was also stating that those who think that they have nothing to be forgiven for, they wouldn't forgive others as easily as the one that has the most. So when Jesus looked at the woman and he told her that her sins were forgiven, her debt was paid, she knew that she had a whole lot of debt. She couldn't pay it back. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And this was all before, or this was all after, she was already weeping and washing his feet and anointing him as king. And so... When Simon heard this, I bet you it was a slap in the face to him. He's like, I'm a righteous guy. How in the world can you forgive this person? I'm a righteous man. I don't need forgiveness. 
And that's exactly what this parable says. The one who loves little is forgiven little. There's a song that's on the radio that I absolutely hate. And it's a country song uh, from Jelly Roll. If you've ever heard it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of the lyrics to you, minus the cussing, okay? I'm not going to get into that part, but it says, I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who the am I, who am I, to expect a Savior if I only talk to God when I need a favor? But God... I need a favor. We tend to treat Jesus like a genie in a bottle. We tend to do that. We only need God when something is going on. And we pull it out and we rub that little lamp. And he comes out and he says, what are your wish? Well, God, I need a favor. Who are you again? No, I haven't heard from you in 20 years. Yeah, but I, I, I need this now, you know. We look at him like he's a magic genie. That's the way most of our minds think. And I'm, I'm, I'm including us into that because we've probably done the same thing. We've probably had paths and times where we didn't really have that close relationship with God, but we're like, God, I really need you to pull through on this one. I've got myself in a pickle. And really, most of the time, the, the troubles that, that fall on us, most of the time, the troubles that fall on us, we are the root of that trouble. We're the ones that got ourselves into that. And now, all of a sudden, we want Jesus to help us out. He's not a genie in a bottle. He doesn't grant wishes. That's Robin Williams, that's right. But here's the reality of it. Every human being, and this is a point, and I'm going to read straight from this portion, because I did, I ripped this out of the book. And I just thought this was amazing it floored me every human is 500 denarii in debt the point of this parable is that we tend to feel that we are only 50 denarii in debt the more obvious a big sin is even though we know there is no difference in sin the more readily and more eager for a deliverance of that sin. The less obvious the sin, the less eager we are to seek that forgiveness. However, all of us are in deep, deep debt with no way to pay it off. But we only think we are in a little debt. One reason our spiritual growth grinds down is that we gradually lose a heart sense of the profound length, see, those are some big words, you know I didn't make those up, the profound length to which Jesus went to save us. 
When we were running full speed the other direction, he chased us down. He subdued our rebellion and opened our eyes to see our need of him. We were not drowning in need of a life preserver. We were stone dead at the bottom of the ocean. He pulled us up, breathed new life into us, and set us on our feet. And every breath we now draw is owing to his full and utter deliverance of us in our helplessness and death. Jesus saves. We forget a lot of times how much that Jesus did for us. A lot of times we act just like the Pharisees do. I'm better than you are. When in reality, we're, we're not. I, the part that I really loved about this in, in, the, in the book, it says, we were not drowning in need of a life preserver. You might have heard the illustration sometimes, it's like we were just drowning, and you know, then Jesus saves us by throwing us a life preserver. No, we were stone dead at the bottom of the ocean. We were gone. And Jesus brought us from death to life. All of our debts. When a lot of times we think that we're, we're not. Really, we're not that bad. I'm not, I'm not that bad. You know, oh, oh Jill over here, <laughs> she's bad. You know, she... She's been going over to somebody else's house and her husband doesn't know about it. See, that sin is no different than the sin of eating too much or the sin of gossiping or any other sin. All sins are equal. And we were all redeemed if you are a believer. And if you're not a believer, you haven't been redeemed yet. But there is hope. But if we are a believer and we truly, truly believe in Christ, we are redeemed from all of our sins. And we are just as bad as the prostitute was. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not one We're wretched individuals. And see, uh, and it's okay, and I'm going to tell you this, it's, it's okay to have different theologies of different things. And, and so, it's okay. I don't believe as much as free will as, as some of you do. And that's fine. We can have that, you know. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's okay. But I believe that we were dead And God called us out. And one of the reasons I believe that when God calling us out instead of me choosing him is because all throughout Scripture, Jesus or God calls them out. And then all of a sudden, in my salvation, I think, oh, Jesus, 
I called you out. No, I, I believe that Jesus called me out. He called me out from the grave, from the depths. But how often do we forget that? A, a, a lot of times, most people in American churches will go to church on Sunday. They'll spend about an hour, hour and a half here. Um, not Well, it's in our church too, but they'll spend an hour, hour and a half here. They'll go out to eat. And man, I'm good until next Sunday. That's what we think. Now, th- now think about that. Just, just think about how silly that is, okay? All right. This is a daily walk with Christ. The Bible is like our food, our soul food. And this is just how silly it is, okay? If I were to go to Golden Corral and Longview once a week and stuff myself, um, which is pretty easy to do, but if I were to stuff myself with all that food and pay and leave and not eat again until Sunday thinking I'm going to be full, is that, does that sound ridiculous? I mean, you're going to have to have some food in between somewhere, right? Unless you're Jesus in 40 days of fasting, you know, but that's just how ridiculous that, that, that is. This is a daily walk with Christ. But a lot of times we forget that. We come, we think we do our duties here, we leave, and I'm good. Oh, man, I'm on a whatever. I'm going to go do whatever I want to because you know what? I am forgiving. That's not the way it works either. (laughs) You can't just go do what you want because you know you're going to be forgiven. That's the opposite. It's awful. Oh, how... We have forgotten the length and depth that Jesus went to redeem us. We need to be constantly reminded of that and to draw near of him every day. He is our redeemer, but we treat him like some magic wizard. Corey Ten Boom, if you know anything about her, they once wrote this. God buries our sins in the depths of the sea and then puts up a sign that reads, no fishing. Do you understand that? Let me read it again. God buries our sins in the depths of the sea and then puts up a sign that reads, no fishing. Meaning that we don't need to go back to that area and to drag up the same stuff over and over. Now, we do still need to be mindful of our sinfulness and where we have came from. That is a part of our story, but we don't need to go back and to drag that back up and to get right back into it. I wrote this, and it was funny. Don't be like the dog that goes back to its vomit. This is going to sound too much, but yesterday we had chili dogs at the house. 
and our dog got into it. About uh, two or three minutes after he ate some of it, it was all over our floor again. So Katie, handling it all, she cleaned it up, and I mopped it up. We set the dog outside while we were doing all that. But when he came back in, guess where he went to? Right where he did it, and sniffing all around it. We do the same thing sometimes with our sin. We think we, we, we've putting it aside, I'm turning over a new leaf. Next thing we know, we're right there just like that dog, just like Buster was yesterday. Oh, smell that so good. Man, that chili was so good. But it's vomit. It's disgusting. You've been redeemed. We'll go back to it. God forgave a huge debt for those who put our trust in him. We don't need to forget that. I was listening to a sermon yesterday um, from a, a professor at Southwestern. I listen to their, they have chapel on uh, three times a week, and I, I listen to them every now and then. And, and so I was listening to this one, and he titled this, and the, I'm going to tell you, the whole reason I listened to this is because it was only 32 minutes long. A lot of the other times, those professors, they're like an hour long. And I was like, man, I got a little bit of time. I'll, I'll listen to this. The whole reason I listened to this was 32 minutes long. I was like, it's short and sweet and to the point. But he titled it, Love God, Love People. And he told a story that impacted me. Now, he's a professor of counseling. And so he deals with uh, addictions a lot. And he came out of a pretty bad past with, with drugs. And now he's, he's start, starting these um, recovery programs. But he tells me that he, he told me this story. I say he told me this story. He told everybody else that story, okay? You can find it. It's on a podcast. But he said that he would call his mentor to seek advice for something that was going on. He wanted advice from it. And he said the mentor, when he picked up the phone, he would ask two questions. He said, have you prayed about it? And what does the word of God say about it? And he said if either one of those answers was no, he'd hang up the phone immediately. Have you prayed about it? And what does the word of God say about it? That's how we can get through a majority of our problems. Not forgetting that Christ died for us who is a sinner, but also Christ died for others who are sinners. In any situation that we deal with, have we prayed about it? And have we looked about the Word of God, what He has said about it? And if either one of those answers is no, 
we need to go back and do those two things. The woman came seeking Jesus, giving her all, and understood the power that he had. Do not forget about what Christ has done for you. This last portion, I stole in two. <laughs> I stole this from Tony Evans. He says, what drives your time with devotion to and experience with Jesus? Do you come to church for a social connection? Do you read your Bible out of duty because you have to? Do you pray in boredom? Do you serve others for what you can get in return? If so, you have forgotten your sin before God and the cross of Christ that cancels all debt. Don't lose sight of how much you've been forgiven. Drink the truth of the gospel, and it will drive you to a deep love for Jesus that spurs you to worship him with passion and serve others sacrificially. That's right. That's powerful. I was reading that in the commentary, and I was like, Ooh, oh my goodness. You're getting me right there. Have we forgotten what Christ did for us? Have we forgotten? I'm going to let you out five minutes early. Let's pray. God, I come before you. Um, first of all, Lord, just thanking you of this, this reminder and, and using this prostitute to speak to my life. Lord, I, I just ask that as we go from here, that we don't forget who and what you've done for, for me, a wretched individual. You called me out of the depths of the sea and you gave me life. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I ask that... Um, that, that you just instill in our hearts if we have forgotten who we were and now who we are, that we will remember and return back to you. You're a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, quadrillionth chances. And God, just thank you for having patience and grace with us. Because we know that at any moment, you could call us away from here. Every breath that we take is from you. And it is a picture of your grace and mercy to us. 
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Have a good week. We thank you for listening to Bar None Cowboy Ministries in Omaha, Texas. We invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We are located on Highway 259 just south of the four-way in Omaha. You may also find us on Facebook or the web at barnonecowboyministries.com, a place where we don't care about your past but care about your future.